You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad that you're able to join us here live. Those of you who are watching us online, so thankful that you've invited us into your home. I want to give a shout out to my friend, Dr. Jack Wilson and his wife, Pat. They've been at home watching. Dr. Jack, love you. Appreciate you. And uh, so glad that you are doing well. Had the opportunity to talk with him last evening and just see how life was going with him. We have so many people that are all over the place watching from all over the place. We have a group of folks every week who are watching from South Africa, and they are joining in. I think that that is our new church plant, and you need to send me there to check out that that church plant and make sure everything's going well in Jeffreys Bay. Tucker's going to go with me because it's the surfing capital of the world, right? So we're so glad you're here this morning. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. We are concluding our series this morning that we've entitled Staycation, so that's the last time you're going to see that video in this series. So uh, you can purchase it for $19.99, but with inflation, it's now $49.99. By the way, the tithe has gone up to 15% because of inflation. Just want to let you know that. Okay, so anyway, we're going to be ending this series today, but before I jump into the last message of this series, I want to let you know where we're going next week. Next week's Memorial Day weekend. And normally we memorialize and we think with all the folks who have given their lives an ultimate sacrifice. But next week, God's laid on my heart a message that I think that is imperative for this body and for the church at large. With the Roe v. Wade opinion and soon ruling coming down and a division that's been happening in America and happening in a number of churches, I feel compelled that I need to speak with you about this issue of abortion. I want to talk with you about what scripture says about it. I want to talk about what science says about it. I want to talk about how it impacts our society. And as believers, how can we take our stand in a very sensitive way um, when we deal with these issues? So next week, I'm going to be dealing with that. We're going to be dealing with it very sensitively. So it's not one of those PG-13 that you can't bring your children to. I think this is something that all of us need to learn and know what God's word says and how it informs us on these kinds of issues. So we're going to be doing that next week. If you can't be here next week, make sure you watch online or you follow up with it because I think it's going to be a very important message for the life of this church. Then in June and July, we're going to be doing a series entitled, Who's That?, We're going to be looking at some obscure Bible characters from the Old Testament and the New Testament, names that you might not even be familiar with, but we're going to look at life lessons and how the Holy Spirit has preserved their stories for us and what we can learn in the midst of these. Now, every year in the summer, I try to take a month off from preaching. It gives you the opportunity to hear some of our other pastors on staff. So I'm not going to preach at all in the month of June, but you're going to hear some of our other pastors. Jeff Poteet's going to be preaching. Tucker Kelly's going to be preaching. Garrett Burns is going to be preaching. We're going to have the opportunity for the month of June to for you to experience the, the leadership that God has here at Scottsdale. Then I'll be preaching in July. And then in August, we're going to do a series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And I think if we need a time to really get back to a Trinitarian view of not only the Father and the Son, but the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. So that's where we're going all the way through August. And I wanted to give you that kind of information. But today we're finalizing this series that we've called Staycation. And the reason we've called it Staycation is we were looking at some of the things that we look forward to when we go on a vacation or a staycation. And we have identified a number of things that we want to experience. But the goal of this series is not just to identify the things we look forward to in a staycation and a vacation, but to identify those things and incorporate them in the rhythms of our life. That this goes beyond summer. Summer's going to end But then comes the fall and then comes the rest of your life. So how do I take the things that are so important in these vacation times and make them the rhythm of how I live? And so far, this is where we've gone. We've talked about reclaiming rest. If there's ever a time that the church and the body of Christ needs to rest, it's now. We talked about silence and solitude. We talked about a Sabbath and we talked about simplicity. Incorporate that into the rhythm of your life. Reconnecting with your family. This is not something just for vacation. This should be every day, every week. Even when our kids grow up and get married and have children of their own, there's always that opportunity, that rhythm of reconnecting with our family. And then Jeff reminded us last week of rediscovering our community, recognizing that God has, by his sovereignty, put us where we are for the purpose of being ministers everywhere we go. And this is to be a part of the rhythm of our lives. And today, as we close this out, we're going to talk about this issue of rhythms. Now, rhythms are are seen all throughout our culture, all throughout life, aren't they? Think about it. Creation has a rhythm. When you read the creation account in Genesis, you see a certain rhythm that God created there in creation. Your heart has a certain rhythm. Music has a certain rhythm. Nature has a certain rhythm. Sports teams have a certain rhythm about them. Now, when these things get out of rhythm, then there's a disruption, and then there can be the inability to accomplish the things that you were created for. In other words, when nature gets out of rhythm, there can be earthquakes and tornadoes and devastation that can bring a lot of damage. And when your heart gets out of rhythm, it can put you in a place where you are unable to accomplish what you normally do and may even bring death. When music is out of rhythm, it becomes chaotic. And we see that even when basketball teams get out of rhythm, they can be ineffective on the court. And the reality is this. All of us from time to time encounter periods of disruption in the rhythms of our life. Think about it. Sometimes unexpected things happen. The loss of a job. The loss of a loved one. And what does it do? It disrupts the rhythm of our life. Maybe it's not only just unexpected, but they're unwanted things. Maybe a spouse is found to be cheating and there's infidelity and it disrupts the rhythm of the home. Maybe there's an illness that you've been diagnosed with and it disrupts the rhythm of your life. Maybe there are uncontrolled situations such as tragedies, things like that. And all of us encounter these disruptions in the rhythms of our life. And the danger is this. Many times when we as believers encounter these disruptions of the rhythms, the enemy wants to use those against us. He wants to use those to create a spiritual equilibrium problem in our lives. 
We get out of balance and out of sync and we kind of lose our way, maybe even our intimacy with the Father. Or maybe the enemy wants to use it to just discourage us and to bring us to a place where we're so paralyzed that we can't seem to function. All of us will encounter these times of rhythms that can be disrupted and the spiritual momentum of our lives can be lost. And the thing is this, we're not alone in this. Go through the pages of scripture and you will find illustration after illustration of men and women of God who have gotten out of rhythm. I think of Elijah, finds himself out of rhythm. He's running from this evil queen, Jezebel, and he's praying that God would just take his life because he considers to be worthless. He's out of rhythm by the sin of somebody else in his life. Or you look at David, his life is out of rhythm by his own sin, by committing adultery, trying to cover his sin. And then you see the effects of that on his children from generations to come. But one of the greatest pictures of a disruption in rhythm is the people of Israel. And the people of Israel had this pattern going in their life. They would follow God, they would rebel, God's judgment would come, they would repent, and they would be restored. And then they would do it again. And they were following this this dysfunctional rhythm of their life. And then finally God had enough. And in Jeremiah, we discover what God does with the people of Israel. And in the midst of this disruptive rhythm of their life, even God's grace prevails. Take your Bibles this morning, open to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. If you have phones, you could go to the Bible app. You can click on the bottom, more, click on events, find Scott's Hill, click on Scott's Hill, and you will find all the notes in the outline on your Bible app but you pull up on your your devices, whatever it is, go to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're gonna be looking at verses one through 14. Let me just set the stage of what is happening here. The people of Israel had rebelled over and over again. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was the king of the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. And in 586 BC, he comes into Jerusalem into the nation of Judah, Israel was divided by Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And he comes in and like a flood with his army, he destroys all of Jerusalem. He takes captive thousands of the best people in Jerusalem. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and people like him are taken back into captivity. They are taking 900 miles away from home. Their lives are about to be disrupted for the rest of their life. The rhythms that they had previously known are gone. Everything is disrupted. And the people of Israel are distraught and they're depressed. How do we know? Is that just speculation? No, we know it from Scripture. Psalm 137, the psalmist writes, and he captures the heart of the people after their captivity in Babylon. Here's what he says. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung our harps and lyres. For there our captives required of us songs of our tormentors' mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They were completely devastated. But Jeremiah, at the instruction of God, sends a letter to the people. 
And in the midst of their disrupted rhythms, in the midst of this judgment and this heaviness that is waiting on the people of God, there is grace and there's mercy. And in this letter, Jeremiah speaks about three things that the people of God are to do when their lives are disrupted. This letter is written to the Israelites 2,600 years ago, but it is as true then as it is today for you and me. Because some of you, your lives have been disrupted. For some of you, the rhythm is out of sync in your life. For some of you, you're struggling with some issues and you're wondering, how do you get back on track? And God's word is so, so relevant that it applies every single time in every single situation. So let's read verses 1 through 14 together. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So all these people are gone. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Sapan, Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, here's the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving this for us. Speak to us today by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is this letter about? In this letter, Jeremiah is telling the people three specific things that they are to do when their life is disrupted. Their life is never going to be the same again. So what do you do in the midst of it? And in God's grace and mercy, he uses Jeremiah to not only speak to the people 2,600 years ago, but for you and me today. 
Here's the first thing you do. When your life is out of rhythm and it is disruptive, first of all, acknowledge God's sovereignty when life is out of rhythm. No matter where you are, no matter how difficult it is, acknowledge the sovereignty of God in the midst of your disruption. I want you to notice what he says in verse 4. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar seized Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar took the people captive, but Nebuchadnezzar was simply the tool that God used to send them to where they are. It's his sovereignty. God is never absent. He's never out of the picture. He doesn't forget us. He is always there. And when we go through difficulties, it's through his sovereignty that he allows those things to happen. We see it again in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And then in verse 14, it appears twice, where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is a tough thing for us many times because when we go through difficulties, when our life is disruptive, sometimes we want to immediately blame the, the devil for it. Oh, the devil's got me in this place. And I want to tell you this. I believe Christians too often give the devil more credit for anything that he has never done. Because the sovereign God is the one who's behind all of this. He's the one that's allowing these things to happen. And it's in his sovereignty that he's allowing us to be in those disruptive places. Because he has a plan. Why are we there? We want to ask that question. Let me give you maybe three reasons we might find ourselves in a place like that. Number one is to bring correction. Sometimes we're there because of our own sin. The people of Israel were there because of their sin, their rebellion. And God, in his love for his children, as Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 tells us, that the father disciplines his own. You do not discipline children who are not yours. You discipline your own. And there are times where the father allows us to be in a tough place because of the rebellion of our own sinful heart. And what is he doing? He's using it to form and fashion us according to his desire. Sometimes we're there to battle the consequences of other people's sin. Sometimes we're in a tough, tough place because somebody else's sin. I think of the spouse whose husband has committed adultery on her. And now the disruption of the whole family and maybe generations to come is going to have to be dealt with. The person who makes unwise financial choices and can impact an entire family. We could talk about all the different situations that can happen, but sometimes we're there because of the sins of somebody else, and it's not even our fault. But here's the third thing, and the most important, is to build character. Is to build a character. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy. When you encounter trials of various kinds, for this is the testing of your faith, which will create endurance, and endurance creates character. And many times you and I are in these difficult places because God wants to do something in our life that will not be done in any other place. Let me remind you of Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament, his coat of many colors? He was a prideful son. He boasted about his, his, his particular position before the father. 
He was thrown into a pit, and from the pit, he went to Potiphar's. From the Potiphar's, he went to prison, and from the prison, he went to the palace. He never would have gotten to the palace if it were not for the pit. And I love what the Psalms write about Joseph. It says, God put iron in his soul. I love that. And so many times, when you find yourself in a disruptive place, maybe God wants you to examine your own heart. Is it my sin get me here? If it did, Father, forgive me. Teach me what I need to know. And I want to tell you this. Some people are in disruptive places way longer than God intends them to be because they refuse to repent. And you may be in a place way longer than God ever intended because you're not to the place of brokenness and repentance yet. But here's the thing. God wants to build character. But we want character in easy places, don't we? We don't want character in the hard places. But I love what Chuck Swindoll used to always say. He says, character is built on the anvil of difficulty. Expert sailors are not experts in the harbor. And Christians that are growing deep in the issues of life do not happen in the easy times. So when you find yourself in a place like that, just give thanks to God. Because he's doing something in you that cannot be done in any other place. And when you go through the pounding and you go through the heat and you go through the refinement, when you come through, the character that's going to be displayed in your life is the character that God wants to develop that flows from the person of Christ. So acknowledge his sovereignty. Recognize that he's in charge and he hasn't forgotten you. Here's the second thing. Not only do I acknowledge his sovereignty but I activate a fresh perspective when life is out of rhythm. I love this. I love the way Jeremiah does this. Or really how the Lord does this through Jeremiah. He says, acknowledge the sovereignty of God. He's got you here. Now you need to activate a fresh perspective. Let me just say this. Let's be honest. When we go through difficult times, we think the worst, don't we? We tend to think the worst. Oh, man, it's terrible. It's never going to get better. Life is ruined, and we have the most negative perspective. And yet, in the midst of those difficulties and the disruptions in our lives, God wants us to see things from a fresh perspective. Jeremiah does this, and there are three things that he does with them. He helps them to see a fresh perspective in three ways. Here's the first thing he does. He says, you need to move from being refugees to residents. You're considering yourself to be refugees in Babylon. I want you to consider yourself to be residents in Babylon. Here's what he says in verses 5 and 6. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. I love what he says. He says, take up residence there. What you're wanting to do is just get out of the situation. You're considering yourself to be a refugee. A refugee is somebody who's there for a temporary time so they can move on to where they want to be. I want to tell you something. The people of Israel did not want to be in Babylon. They did not want to raise their children in Babylon. They did not want their grandchildren to be raised in Babylon. They were not thinking, this is the place of retirement for me. No, they hated every moment of it. But Jeremiah is saying, don't act like a refugee. Settle in. Build houses, build your family, build your heritage, build your testimony. 
build your legacy for children because you're going to be there for 70 years. And you know what's interesting? Among the crowd of the people who heard Jeremiah read that letter was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that because of what they did. They took the advice from Jeremiah. And what did they do? They settled in. They began to learn the language. They began to learn the culture. They began to learn all of the sciences. They began to learn the philosophy. And what did God do? God used them even in government. And that we see that they rose through three different dynasties in that area because they took the advice of, I'm not going to just be a refugee. I'm going to be a resident. Now, let me tell you this. When you're in a tough place, nobody wants to be there. We're always looking for the fastest way out, aren't we? Maybe you're in a job today that you don't like, and you consider yourself a refugee, and you're trying to get out of that, and God is saying to you, no, 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 I want you to be a resident. I've got a place for you, and you're not going to get where I want you to be without that. Some of you may be struggling with an illness and a sickness today, and you're wanting to get out of it as quickly as you can. And God is saying, no, 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 you keep praying. You keep trusting my healing power. But I want you to settle in and trust me in the midst of that. Some of you are in a marriage that you are acting like you're a refugee, and you're wanting to bail. And God is saying to you, no, 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 you're a resident here. Trust me and watch what I'm going to do. Isn't that amazing? Because what we want to do so many times is get out as quickly as we can. And in the midst of this difficulty, here's what we learn. We learn I settle in and I trust God. And I just have to settle here and believe that he's going to do something in me instead of running. The fresh perspective here is don't be a refugee. Be a resident. 12 years ago, when I was in Ecuador, I hit a wall. I picked up a virus, and my body had the perfect storm, and I shut down. And I was wanting to get out of that, and it took not months, but very few people know the years that I battled with that. And I had to settle in it and let God do his work in me. And I thank God for it because of the character that's been built as a result of it. And I would say, don't run, wait on him. Here's the second thing he does. Not only moving from refugees to residents, but from mourners to missionaries. From mourners to missionaries. Listen to what he says. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, you think the first part was hard for these people to say, what? You want us to settle in and treat Babylon as our home? Jeremiah, you're out of your mind. But now he gives something that's even more difficult. He says, pray for them. 
Be a missionary to them. They must be thinking, no, wait a minute, Jeremiah. These are the people who have destroyed Jerusalem. These are the people who have brought death to our own family and destruction to our nation. You want us to pray for them? You're out of your mind. That insulted them. How do we know it insulted them? Let's go back to Psalm 137, verses eight and nine. Here's how it ends. Oh, daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Man, that is bitter. Can you imagine being in your small group and somebody says, I got a prayer request. I pray that God would take my godless neighbors, bring the wrath on them, and he would dash their little ones against the rock. You would think that person needs help. Man, they need Dr. Phil, they need Oprah, they may even need a visit from Will Smith. <laughs> but that was their heart. That was what they were thinking. And what does Jeremiah say? No, no, quit your mourning, quit your crying, quit your whimpering. Be a missionary where God has planted you. You see, the thing is this, when we mourn and we cry, it's all about us, isn't it? It's all about me. It's all about what I'm missing. But when I become a missionary, it's about God. It's about telling people of his greatness. Daniel did that. How do we know? Daniel developed a prayer life, and we find in chapter 6 that he prayed three times a day. In fact, the counselors there used his prayer life against him to ensnare him. We see that he even prays for Nebuchadnezzar. When God's about to bring judgment on Nebuchadnezzar for seven years, he prays and he says, please, don't fall into this. He's praying for this wicked king. David was a beautiful picture. I mean, Daniel was a beautiful picture of taking that into heart. And so he's saying that you are to tell people about me. And Daniel did that. He is the one who told them about the coming Messiah. And the wise men that were at the night after Jesus' birth, probably 18 months later after he was born, showed up, those wise men came from Babylon. From the testimony of Daniel, because he refused to be a mourner, but a missionary. Let me tell you this, no matter what you're going through in your difficulties of your life, you have two focuses, on me or on others. And there are two kinds of people in the life of this church, those who are crying, nobody's ministering to me, and those who are asking, who can I minister to? And in the midst of these difficult times, we need to know that he is enough. Listen, I don't care what you're going through. The good news is still the good news. I have been chosen by the Father from the foundations of the earth. I have been adopted as a son or daughter by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So who cares what happens here? What happens if we have that attitude? One of my favorite pictures of all time was a, was a, a, a picture, a painting. I couldn't find it. I went and looked on the internet this week and I couldn't find it anywhere, but I remember seeing it years ago. Here's the painting. The painting is the picture of an old man in long john underwear. He's holding the hand of a little boy who's wearing overalls with no shirt. Obviously, his grandson. So there's a grandfather and the grandson. 
Their backs are to the viewer looking away, and they're looking at the charred remains of a home that has burned to the ground and still smoldering, and the only thing that's left is the chimney, the fireplace. And the little boy is obviously crying. And the grandfather is looking at the little boy, and under the caption, underneath the picture, it says this, Hush, child, God ain't dead. What a wonderful perspective. You know what? The, the goal of every Christian's life is Jesus. Jesus. Everything is Jesus. Above my goals, above my ambitions, above my comfort, above my pleasures, it's Jesus. And so everything about my life ought to be about Christ. And when I go through a difficult time, I should be praising him and letting other people know about the greatness of Jesus Christ. I should be magnifying his name no matter what is happening in my life because he is my life. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. What do we have to lose? You're going through cancer? God's not dead. You've lost your job? God's not dead. You're lonely? God's not dead. You're in a place of anxiety and depression? God's not dead. And in the midst of that, rather than mourning, become a missionary and tell other people of the greatness of God. Here's the third thing he tells them. He says you need to move from victims to visionaries. From victims to visionaries. Now, this is hard because it's easy to be a victim. We would rather be a victim. You know why? Because it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's responsibility. I own nothing of this situation. And if I'm a victim, then I don't have any responsibility. But if I'm a visionary, I move from the current to the future and I own what is there. Here's what he says. He says to them that we're to be walking in truth. As a person who is a visionary, you walk in truth. Why is that important? Here's what happens. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and your diviners um, who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Then in verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. There were prophets going around lying. There were some who were saying, listen, you're only gonna be there two years. Don't, don't settle down. Don't settle in. You're just going to be here two years. You're fine with God. God loves you. He's got a picture of you on his refrigerator. He's working all things out. You're in a great relationship with him. Listen, you just name it and you claim it. Sounds familiar? They're in a tough spot. And somebody's giving them the kind of news that sounds good, but is empty. And then there are the other ones who are the doomsayers. You know, we're never going to get out of this. It's bad. It's your fault. God's anger's kindled against us, and we're never going to experience the grace of God. They're legalistic and damning. But here's Jeremiah in the midst of it. He brings the perfect picture. He says, oh, no, no, no. Yes, your sin has got you here, but God hasn't forgotten you, and he's going to fulfill his word. He's telling them, the truth. Let me tell you, when you're in a difficult place, when you're in a dark place, it's easy for you to run to people who will give you what you want to hear. 
But what you want to hear may not be what you need to hear. There was an old preacher many years ago by the name of Vance Havner. Oh, country, country to the hilt. If you could hear him preach that country accent, I used to love to hear him. I think, man, he just sounds so ignorant, but he was so filled with wisdom. He was so filled with, he tells a story of this bird that is flying south for the winter, but it encounters this ice storm and it is so cold that the bird freezes and falls to the ground. He's on the verge of being frozen to death when a cow comes along and dumps a pile of manure right on top of him. All of a sudden, he's warming up. He's feeling good. He sticks his head out and he starts to sing. Then a cat comes along, digs him out of the manure and eats him. And he says, this is the moral of the story. Not everybody who dumps on you is your enemy and not everybody who digs you out is your friend. When you find yourself in a pile of manure, shut up and trust God. I like that. From old country preacher. Come on, send me the emails. Go ahead. I'm, send them. But we walk in truth. Here's the second thing. We walk in trust. We walk in trust. Here's the trust. The most quoted verse in Jeremiah is the most quoted verse out of context. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Three things we see here. We see God's purpose. I know. I know what I'm doing in you. I know what I'm going to do in you. You may not see the end. This may be painful for you, but if you can see what I want to accomplish through this disruptive rhythm in your life, you will know my heart for you. When you don't know, he does. And when you're confused, he's seen the end from the beginning and he's working it all according to the purposes of his good pleasure. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. He says, there's a purpose, here's the plan, for welfare and not for evil. God's heart is never evil for his children. It may seem like it sometimes because of the pain that you're going through, but Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says, you were not destined for wrath, but for sanctification. And God is using all of these things to bring us to a place where we reflect mostly the heart of the Lord Jesus. So he shows the plan, but then there's a promise. I've got a future and a hope for you. I've got a future and a hope. I know where I want you to be. Trust me, because my heart is good, my heart is right, and I never make a mistake. We need a new perspective when we go through difficulties. Don't be a refugee, be a resident. Don't be a mourner, be a missionary. Don't be a victim, be a visionary for what God has for you. Acknowledge his sovereignty. Activate a fresh perspective. Then thirdly, anticipate a spiritual transformation when life is out of rhythm. Anticipate God doing something in you. This is wonderful. What do we anticipate? We anticipate his great work. What is he going to bring in us? I love what Jeremiah says. He brings a renewed dependence. When we're going through difficult, dark times, it forces me to depend on God in a way maybe that I had not done previously. He says this, then you will call upon me 
and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Don't you love that? But not only is there renewed dependence, there's a rekindled devotion. He puts it this way. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's in those dark times that God uses to rekindle our devotion and our love for him. And finally, there's a restored dwelling. A restored dwelling. Here's how he ends it. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This word is for Israel, specifically. But it has ramifications for God's people today. When we get off track, we can't get back on track way down here. We get off where we, we get back on where we got off. And when God uses these things, he brings us back to the place where we need to begin our journey. And it's fresh. This is not a promise of prosperity. Listen carefully. It's a promise of intimacy with the Father. I don't know where you are today, but there are three kinds of people here. There's some of you who are in the throes of a disruption right now, and you're confused, and God has just spoken to you what you need to do. There's some of you who this year, you will go into a time of disruption. And I believe with our economy, and I believe with what's happening in our nation, in the world, the church is about to experience some disruptions that we've never known. And I think God is preparing us. And the third thing is people who have already come out of it. People who have come out of this. And God has built a character in you that blesses his heart. This morning, wherever you are, regardless of what it is, acknowledge his sovereignty. Activate that fresh perspective. Anticipate God doing something great in you. If you're a child of God, God is looking for your well-being and that he would be glorified through your life. If you're not a child of God this morning, listen to me. The answer for you is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can undo the disruptions that the world brings. And he is your hope. Because he loved you so much that he died for you. He was buried, he rose on the third day, and he's alive today. And he knows more about you than anybody else. And your being here today is no accident. The disruption of your life is sin and separation from a holy God. The answer for that is the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And he is here for you today. So as we close out this series of this staycation, implement these things as the rhythm of your life. But when rhythm gets out of sync, God will use it for your good and for his glory. But you got to go to him, trust him, submit fully to him, and rest in him. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand together. We'll close with a word of prayer. The band's going to come and sing. 
And the song we're going to close with is the declaration of what you have heard through this series, that we want to build our life on these principles and on the person and the work of Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we could trust it as being truth. And Father, as we've listened to this today and you've challenged our own hearts, Father, may you challenge our lives. And that, Father, the rhythms of our life will be reflective of your character and your word. And, Father, when our lives get out of sync, you bring us back to these places by your grace and your mercy. Father, as we seek to build our lives on the foundation of Christ, may we reflect his love to all we encounter. Father, if there are those here this morning who are without Christ, I pray that your spirit would do a work in their lives and you would begin to draw them to yourself. And Father, they would come to that place of absolute surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And we pray in his name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.